Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBE's podcast, Mutuality Matters. We will consider today our theme, Women in Words, Bible Translation and Why It Matters. Our guest is Dr. Havila Darajam, and she leads the Old Testament team translation project here at CBE International. Havila currently serves as the academic editor of our award-winning academic journal, Priscilla Papers. She's a Langham scholar in Great Britain and has for years pioneered better Bible translations and understanding of women in scripture. Currently, Havila heads the CBE chapter in India. She has a PhD uh, in Old Testament from the University of Durham, UK. Her research interests are Old Testament and comparative literature. She's a faculty member at the South Asian Institute for Advanced Christian Studies in India. With an interest in biblical narrative, she encourages the use of storytelling in the pulpit. She's an author of various articles, commentaries, and monographs, as well as an editor of the South Asian Bible commentary, Zondervan, and the forthcoming South Asian Study Bible. Uh, Hadila writes and speaks for many groups, including CBE, and she did receive CBE's Lifetime Achievement Award in 2019. Welcome, Hadila. Thank you, Mimi. Uh, such a joy and privilege to be here with you. Can you speak to some of the um, fallout of failed Bible translation as it impacts girls and women in the church, uh, in communities, and human flourishing, that is bringing of God's shalom, which is the purpose of uh, biblical history to point to God's shalom. Can you address that, please? Right. Um, among Bible translations that have uh, um, had a negative fallout on um, girls and women in Christian communities would be the one we did just before the break, um, uh, the one from Genesis 3 uh, about uh, the woman desiring the man and the man dominating the woman. Uh, but we can go back to uh, one chapter earlier, Genesis 2, the creation of woman. And um, um, that would be another problematically uh, translated text where uh, the woman is described uh, as uh, man's assistant, man's helper, uh, when um, much more faithful reading would be uh, something along the lines of perfect comrade, perhaps. Um, um, but I want to speak about something else today, something that needs much more preaching, I think, from our pulpits. And that is uh attention to the images of the motherliness of god god as a motherly father or maybe a fatherly mother uh, these are hardly ever recognized hardly ever preached hardly ever taught and uh, the maleness of god is what stands out in uh, sermon sunday after sunday so women uh, feel second class they feel that just by their gender just by being born as women and they've missed out somehow 
uh, and in some way uh, do not possess completely the image of God or possess it in some derived and secondary uh, manner. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, we've looked at uh, texts like that in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 14, for example. Uh, let me read it for you uh, from our translation. I have kept silent for ages, says the Lord. I have been quiet. I've controlled myself. But now, like a woman about to give birth, I shriek all at once. I pant. I gasp. Oh, Isaiah 46, 3 to 4. Listen to me, O descendants of Jacob, and you who remain from what was once Israel. I have carried you since you were in my belly. I have borne you from the time you were in my womb. I have never heard preachers preach this. And maybe that goes right back to uh, the fact that we don't have so many women preachers in some denominations, not at all. If women preached more, these were texts that would come out uh, more from the pulpit and how affirming they would be for half the congregation there, the women, and help them to see that uh, God is not male, he's not female either, that he's beyond gender and that he uses both uh, categories of uh, metaphors uh, to describe what he does with us. Yes, I love that. So beautiful, so powerful. And there's a deep, deep hunger among women, evangelical women in particular, to understand that they too are reflected in the characters, uh, characterization of God's deeds in history as motherly, nurturing, close to, imminent uh, to us all, like a mother's heart. I think of, I think of the way my mother used to smell when I would give her a hug, she always smelled of roses, rose petals. That was her her perfume. And I just think of that motherly sense of just this nearness, God's motherly scent as she protects us, God protects us. Recognizing also that language for God is always analogical, right? It's metaphoric. You can't, Chesterton said, you you know, you you can only take your head and peek into heaven and, and glimpse at the majesty and wonder and excellence of God. But to try to really put all of it into your head at once, your head will just explode, right? Because it's just, it's too much for us to hold. It has to be metaphor. Or That's as Soren Kierkegaard said, that language cracks under the burden uh, of understanding and describing God. So you have a very hard job, Havila. <laughs> right, but it's such a fun job and it's something we're really enjoying doing. And some of this, I mean, it's coming out fresh and new to us as we translate. Excellent, excellent. Yes, I know the teams are very tight with each other and it's wonderful to see that camaraderie and sisterly, brotherly love as you work. And it's just beautiful evidence of Christian community. I love that part too. And you're leading the team, so thank you. Listeners will, will hear what's coming up in the life of CBE, our next conference in Denver, Colorado. Tell her story, uh, the revisiting of the biblical and historic evidence of women's leadership, uh, proof that they are gifted and called by God and that God blesses and honors their work. So we'll be meeting in Denver, Colorado, the 26th through the 28th uh, next year. And we're going to scale the mountain of evidence, biblically and historically, just like the beautiful Rocky Mountains in the region, which you can pretty much look up and enjoy at any point. Having grown up there, I just love that state. 
And so uh, we will metaphorically scale the Rocky Mountains and examine the evidence that we have now as Bible scholars such as Havila bring us. So please join us. So what are several of your personal favorite revisions from the Old Testament team and why? When we heard from Jeff, who's leading the New Testament team, uh, he spoke of his favorite and now it's your turn. Um, right. Um, my favorite is Judges 4.4. 4. Now, Judges 4 is the story of Deborah. Uh, till this point in, in Judges, and from this point onwards, we're going to have men judges, men leaders. Uh, we know that a judge is not uh, a courtroom kind of judge. Uh, the judges described uh, in this book are um, largely military leaders who go out there and fight on behalf of the tribe or the um, um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, uh, on behalf of that part of uh, uh, Israel that's uh, come under threat. Um, so now in Judges 4, we have Deborah suddenly. Uh, this is how she's described. At that time, Deborah led Israel. And these are the descriptors for her. A prophet or prophetess, we've tried to avoid the word uh, prophetess, um, prophet, a prophet, and now how shall we uh, render the next phrase? There's two ways of doing it. Most English translations do. At that time, Deborah led Israel, a prophetess, and the wife of Lapidoth. Now, Lapidoth. Lapid means flame. So Lapidoth, plural, would mean flames. And in the Hebrew, the word for woman and wife uh, is the same. So you can um, use the word to describe either the uh, either a woman or a wife. So now, uh, in other parts of the Bible where you have uh, sometimes a, a virtue uh, or a characteristic described, uh, the Hebrew would say a woman of dash. So, for example, a woman of beauty. And we translate that attractive woman. A woman of virtue. And then we translate that a virtuous woman or a noble woman. You see? Mm -hmm. Or you might have the woman of folly. And then that's uh, Dame Folly in the in the Psalms. Yeah. Um, or you might even have a woman of prostitution, as in Hosea. Then you translate that a whoring woman. Here, when you have a woman of Lapidoth, where Lapidoth can be translated flames, Lapidoth need not be the name of the husband. It can mean flames. So then how do you translate that? A woman of flames, a fiery woman. And you know how in the story that goes on, Deborah is exactly that. She is the one who goes up on that mountain and gives the signal for the army uh, of uh, Israel to thunder down that uh, hillside, right? She is your leader of Israel. She is the prophet here. And she is a fiery woman. See? So we can translate it both ways. We can, uh, we can do wife of Lapidoth or we can do woman of flames. Fiery woman. Mm. I don't see why. 
we should uh, almost uh, uh, routinely translate it as wife of Lapidot. We can do fiery woman in the text proper and then uh, put the other translation, wife of Lapidot, into a footnote. But no, it's us being patriarchal, right? We have to have wife of so-and-so up in the main text and then, if at all, we might do the other translation in a footnote. But we are not doing that. We are putting her up there as part of this triplet of descriptors. Deborah led Israel. She was a prophet and she was a fiery woman. High voltage woman. High voltage woman even. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is so great. I cannot wait to read your um, text and your translation recommendations. And I think our listeners are feeling the same way. We have listeners of you from around the world, eight countries that we know of and others that are just unknown to us. So I pray and trust this is going to be encouraging and helpful to them. Okay, so what are uh, several of your personal favorites? Um, You've talked about Deborah and... um, uh, Is there there anything else that kind of strikes you as your, your favorite beyond Deborah? Uh, well, there's a De- Deuteronomy text that we did, um, uh, which is a, um, well, how shall I say, uh, um, it's a favorite in the sense that I feel um, a sense of great fulfillment in the way we translated it. Deuteronomy 22 is a rather difficult text. Uh, it talks about the case of sexual assault. Uh, of uh, young women, uh, whether in the town or out in the countryside, and um, what clauses apply in each case. Um, what we found in most translations is that when you do literal, when you do uh, word for word, uh, this is how it will read, Deuteronomy 22, 23. In the case of a young woman who has never had sexual relations, Uh, and who is engaged to be married, if a man encounters her while they are within the town and sleeps with her, now that's the Hebrew straight out, and sleeps with her, Uh, considering that this is a text that's dealing with sexual assault, rape, Mm -hmm. uh, we translated it sense for sense in in terms, in language and vocabulary that we would use today for such an action. So we've said if a man encounters her while they are within the town and sexually assaults her, sleeps with her sounds um, so um, um, weak uh, compared to the act that's being uh, actually perpetrated. And uh, we have repeatedly called the person who does this, the man, instead of saying the man who sleeps with her, we have said the rapist. Mm -hmm. So we've uh, called him out and called the act out for what it really is. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Is there another translation out there that does that, that refers to these um, acts of sexual violence as rape or... Are we the first to do it? Uh, no, the, um, the NIV does it, but, um, and so do several others, uh, but we've uh, been consistent right through the text mm-hmm. uh, to use uh, the language of sexual assault. Oh, I just, I just think I was... And one example is instead of sleeps with, we've done sexually assaults. Excellent. Okay. Very helpful and very true. 
There's another one, another sort of related one in Exodus 21, 10. Mm -hmm. um, this is about a man who marries again, uh, who gets himself a second wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is how the text reads. Uh, if a man finds himself another wife, it must not be at the cost of the first one's rights to food, clothing, and marital rights. Now, uh, if we read it like that, we wouldn't even know what marital rights were. But if we did the homework and looked at what it meant in the ancient world, this is how we translate it. Sense for sense, we translate it like this. The, it must not be at the cost of the first wife's rights to food, clothing, and sexual intimacy. That's what mm. marital rights would mean. Mm. Mm. You see? Yeah. Uh, and uh, sometimes uh, people find it... Uh, uh, quite uh, astonishing uh, that the text uh, actually says uh, things like this, giving women uh, not just um, civil rights or rights within society, uh, but also rights within family and intimate rights even, rights like this. Mm -hmm. So what change do you hope this translation uh, option will have for women today? I think to begin with women will um, will will uh, begin to read the text differently. Once they've discovered the text like this, they're going to start reading other texts also with fresh eyes mm. and be able to probably uh, to uh, track the um, the thoughts of the human uh, author, uh, the the. Um, the word of God as it comes through in the words and to be able to uh, be self-empowered, I think, simply because they're able to read the text so much more uh, intelligently and so much more faithfully. Right. Oh, thank you. Right. And it does require homework, as you say. Mm -hmm. So I know that the translation team, both Old and New Testament, want to have the uh, the value of your insights as they go forward with their own Bible translations uh, work. And so how can Bible translation teams working worldwide, you know, uh, either by reading our, our resources or by some greater wisdom, improve the accuracy of translations in their context? That's a question that people often ask us. Hmm. I think... Uh, um... Uh, what Bible translators should do always is work in teams and never let it be, uh, you know, the work of a single scholar. Work in teams uh, and work with half the team being women scholars. Yeah. Uh, and also treat Bible translation as a work in progress. We're never, ever quite finished with bringing God's word to God's world. So it's a task that each generation must take upon itself. So approach it with humility uh, as a work in progress and knowing that we only stand in a long line of Bible translators who will continue to bring God's word to God's ever-changing world. Amen, amen. Well, you and I have talked a bit about Catherine Bushnell. I think CBE is, from the very beginning, uh, quite appreciative of her work that began in the really late 1800s. As she spent 20 years working with the Women's Christian Temperance Union, their social purity uh, campaign, having left China as a missionary and now working with girls brothel in the United States. 
And over these years, she discovered some serious Bible translation errors that she believes were complicit in the exploitation of girls and women. Uh, some of those errors we've talked about, but what, having some knowledge of her work, uh, what are your thoughts on that trajectory? Well, maybe here I should say that um, we, we, we didn't have those examples, so I'm afraid I didn't. Oh, okay. Uh, get, get, get my head around this one. Oh, okay. No problem. I see. Yeah. Uh, she talks about Cahil. It was in the article I, I wrote for the journal um, where, where purity, uh, it's words in Hebrew that mean strength and um, are now translated as purity and virtue, sexual purity and virtue for women when the very same word used for a man would be strength. Um, that was sort of the challenge that she raised in her book, God's Word to Women. And she believed that she came across it in both the Old Testament and the New and felt like these were maybe straws or needles in a haystack, but they were all pointing in one direction as a, as a way of demeaning the moral and uh, capacity of women. And I wondered if you had any comments on that whatsoever. Um, right. Um, uh, one one word that um, that uh, comes to mind is the one that uh, you mentioned, Khail. Uh, Khail, uh, how should it be translated when it relates to men uh, and when it relates to women in the Old Testament? Uh, the book of Ruth is one place where the word occurs uh, with respect to both the man and the woman, the, the protagonist being, of course, uh, Boaz and Ruth. Uh, it's Boaz that's uh, introduced first with that um, descriptor, Chayil, in the first verse of chapter two. He, uh, Boaz, is introduced as a man of Chayil, which is a uh, how, how, how do most Bible translations uh, render that? As a man with a status in the community, as an um, upstanding uh, man, somebody who uh, deserves respect in the community. That's how it's translated for Boaz. Mm -hmm. And then in chapter three, Boaz um, speaks to Ruth and says to her, you are a woman of Chayil. We understand that you are, now that's a huge thing. Who is Ruth? She is not even an Israelite woman. She's a Moabite. Moabites are not even permitted to enter into the community of Israel for generations. She is a Moabite with a story told about the origins of her people, which is incestuous. And here she is at the threshing floor, uh, meeting Boaz in the dark of the night. And what does he say to her? He says, you, the, the community sees you as a woman who deserves respect yeah mm -hmm. so that's a, that, so anyone translating ruth uh, should translate khail the same way for both boaz and for uh, and for ruth it is that respect that she earns in the community because of the kindness that she shows um, naomi and her family the kindness that she or the loyalty that she displays towards boaz by asking him to marry her rather than you know how he says it you could have gone after any of the other young men but no you you uh, uh, demonstrated loyalty you are a woman of virtue not chastity here a woman a woman 
who is uh, uh, virtuous in the sense of commanding respect in society, not chastity. And mm. so that's why when we do Proverbs 31, um, the, 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 the uh, well-known acrostic about uh, the woman of virtue, uh, it should be the woman of worth, really. Uh, uh, virtue sometimes can become... Uh, uh, a rather um, a feminine um, adjective, maybe. A woman of worth is what uh, Proverbs 31 is describing, not a, a woman who is chaste or a woman with some um, uh, weak uh, feminine uh, virtues. No, it's a eshet khayil, a woman of uh, who commands respect uh, at, uh, within society, so much so that even her husband... Uh, gains respect by being her husband at the gates of the city. Oh my goodness, so powerful. So all in some here, how do you, what do you think will be the most important uh, impact of your work on the Old Testament team and the Bible as a whole? What do you, what do you really see as the big difference in the vision and focus that you have as a team. Yeah. Um, here, we, um, like I said before, we need to approach any translation with a spirit of humility. Uh, and so um, I think we want to emphasize that we're not presenting our translations as the only valid ones uh, mm -hmm. or the very best ones um, or translations that are never, ever going to need revision. Uh, instead, we are presenting our translation as important contributions uh, to this complex and never-ending task of Bible translation. And um, so we um, do it in a spirit of uh, discovery, even us uh, reading the text with uh, fresh eyes, uh, keeping in mind the desire, uh, the call to be faithful readers of the text. And so we hope that uh, when... Um, um, other people are introduced to CBE's uh, uh, translations, especially as they concern women. Uh, we trust that uh, in some small way, our translations will begin uh, the process that leads to the dismantling of patriarchy uh, within the church, within our Christian communities, and uh, uh, God blessing it within the world. Amen. Wonderful. Well, how can listeners partner with you in this terrific, humble, faithful work and the team that you're doing? How can we partner with you? I think prayer, uh, prayer that we may be given the wisdom to serve God in this very special way, um, which is to create an awareness of and to correct misconceptions about the biblical place of women in God's word. Oh, I love it. Well, God bless you. And Thank you so much, Havila, for being on our podcast today. I will be looking over my notes many times, and I hope to share this recording with our community and beyond. And so God bless you. And let's just say a quick prayer. Um, Lord, lead this Bible translation team and the humility they desire, the, the wisdom they uh, ask of you to give. And we pray that you would carry them from strength to strength in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thank you. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. 
The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. 